Hello and welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. I'm your host, Andrew Moses. My guest today, Samir Goyle, the co-founder of Asusu, one of the leading, fast-growing financial technology platforms that you'll find in the marketplace. Samir, welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to be here with you today. It's great to have you, Samir. So I cannot do it justice, but Asusu is one of the most phenomenal stories in terms of financial technology, all technology uh, that, that's in the market right now. You're growing incredibly fast. Tell our listeners and viewers, what does Asusu do? Thanks, Andrew. That's a great question. So what Asusu does is really simple. We partner with large landlords so that when tenants make their rent payments, it goes towards building their credit. That benefit is typically reserved for homeowners, but half of this country rents, and we want to make sure that they have the opportunity to access additional financial services and products. On top of that, when tenants struggle to make their rental payments, we're able to pair them with a 0% interest loan so that they can keep a roof over their heads while their landlords get paid. Our job is to create win-wins for tenants and landlords and ultimately build a more inclusive financial system. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there, Samir. I mean, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal work that you're doing. What, what, what inspired you? You know, when did you say, "Hey, I'm going to go into the financial inclusion business"? How did it all start? Yeah, Andrew, that's a great question. So, for me, Asusu really stems from my personal experiences. You know, I grew up in an immigrant family. My folks moved here from New Delhi, India, and like many other immigrants, they're pursuing the American dream. That journey was just so much harder than it should have been. You know, my, my father was mugged on his first day here. We didn't really have a place for shelter. And so much of my upbringing was watching my parents work miracles so that I could have some of the opportunities I've been afforded. And so similar to that, my, my co-founder, Abby, had a set of similar experiences. And we came together and said, you know, we want to build a company that can leverage our mind for business and our heart for the world to really help working Americans keep a roof over their head. Mind for business and heart for the world. Really, really um, interesting way of, of looking at it and certainly inspiring. So you, you, you mentioned that um, being an immigrant family coming to America to pursue the American dream was harder than it should have been. Talk about that for a minute. What, 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 you know, I mean, obviously, um, you talked about your father being mugged there on their first day. But, but when you think about growing up and pursuing some of your ambitions, you know, what were some of the, the more challenging aspects? Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. I think, you know, there's, there's a plethora of challenges, but what it comes down to is really when my folks moved here, they didn't really have any money, any credit score, and really nowhere to go. And so watching my parents kind of try to understand how to navigate this new system that was foreign to them, still kind of understanding English, still kind of understanding the money system, and the system kind of treats you as though you're guilty until you're proven innocent, right? Because you don't have a credit score when you start out. And so that friction, that barrier was something that really stood out to me. I think as a child, you know, it's not something that you necessarily notice until you reflect later on because you think your world is normal. But, you know, it wasn't the same experiences that others around me were having. And uh, a lot of that, I think, can be tied back to that immigrant story and, you know, kind of getting started from scratch in America. The, the credit score concept is so interesting, right? Because so many Americans take the, the credit score for, for granted. Um, but, you know, I, I know, you know, just from digging into all the work uh, that you're doing at Asusu that something to the extent of like 45 or 50 million Americans don't have a credit score. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, Andrew, it's crazy, right? We have 45 people who are credit invisible and probably another, you know, 15 to 20 million that are what you call credit thin. But even more astounding is you have 150 working American, 150 million working Americans who have less than $400 in their bank account for an emergency. 
right? So the financial system isn't working for a lot of people. I think it's just pronounced for some of those immigrant and minority experiences. But that being said, there's definitely a gap here where a lot of people are being left out. And if we find a way to include them in the financial system, that's a win for everyone, right? That's a win for them. That's a win for the economy. That's a win for America. It sure is. Um, so I- I'm wondering, I mean, obviously, it's clear that your own personal, like so many entrepreneurs, right, their personal experiences give them the idea, the conviction, the passion, the drive, whatever, you know, adjective you want to use to pursue whatever it is that you're, whatever, you, you experience the problem so significantly that you want to solve it. But did you, you know, was entrepreneurship something that like ran in your, in your blood or, or was it something that, you know, how did you... Did you always know I want to be an entrepreneur? I want to come up with a problem that 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 I have experienced and I want to solve it for other people. <laughs> you know, Andrew, I don't think I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Actually, um, when I was first heading to college, my dream was to go work in international relations at the UN. I thought that was my path to change the world. And I started and very quickly I realized bureaucracy was not the path for me. And so I kind of ran in the opposite direction and found my way into startups. I actually ended up building a food technology company before Asusu and learned a lot from that experience. It's still around today, it's still doing well, but I also learned all the things not to do that I think set me up for future success with Asusu. So, so there are so many so there are so many folks out there who, who rent all their, their, their life, but, they, but what you're saying is they don't have, they might not have a credit score. Exactly. Or it might be really, really thin. And, and then what, what you can do is connect, you know, through, through through a data platform, you can essentially provide information to property owners and multifamily facilities that says, no, no, these, these, these folks are, you know, um, not credit risk. Yeah, you got it, Andrew. So, you know, right now, if someone's been paying their rent on time for 40 years, but doesn't believe in taking on debt, or maybe doesn't have access to financial products, in the eyes of our system, they're a bad risk, right? So this person who's been paying their rent on time for 40 years can't get a mortgage. Right? They might be disqualified from jobs. They can't refinance their student loans. There's all these barriers that are created. And it just doesn't make sense because if someone's paying their rent on time, they're probably a good bet from an underwriting standpoint. Right? But we just haven't figured out a way to connect those systems. And that's what Asusu really does. Like Figure out a way to tap into all these property managers, capture that data, and then report it into all the credit bureaus. So, so let's, talk about, let's talk about building Asusu, right? Because you know, I spend so, so, so much of my time you know, admiring and talking to um, great leaders and, and, and people who, who lead and, and drive great teams and folks with tremendous work ethic. Um, I want to I dig into the process of building Asusu. So uh, you mentioned your co-founder, Avi. Um, he, he had a set of similar circumstances, which, which inspired him as well. H- how did the two of you uh, ultimately get together and decide you're going to create this business? <laughs> yeah, so Abby and I have now known each other for close to eight years. We actually met at a conference um, when we were both building our separate companies and just became really good friends. At this point, we're, you know, work husbands, pretty much married. Uh, I've gone through more things with Abby than really anyone else. But um, we essentially realized that we shared this passion and we had this kind of similar evolution where we were, you know, building an organization and then decided to go work in corporate America because we both had student debt. We also wanted to learn more about the private sector and kind of figure out that side of things. And then kind of realized like, this isn't where we want to be for the rest of our lives. You know, we really, what we care about is building a company that can fundamentally impact the communities that we come from. And so we had that shared sense of kind of understanding and what we wanted. And so we actually started building a consulting company before we launched Asusu. And so we, uh, 
you know, it's called Abby Goyle and Associates, still around today. And then, um, and then, kind of the inspiration for Susu when we were talking, because um, both of our parents did something very interesting, where we would essentially save in collectives rather than as individuals. And so we were like, this is a unique way of saving that's really prevalent, uh, prevalent in immigrant communities that isn't really used in mainstream America. So what if we built a, you know, savings product and brought it to market? And then obviously the business has pivoted and evolved tremendously since then. But we started working on this in uh, 2016. So many great businesses pivot and evolve. Um, and, you know, I, I talked to so many founders who hold up their initial business plan and it looks, looks nothing like, <laughs> you know, the successful business that they uh, created. Um, so, so let's talk about building the company. I mean, everybody thinks that building, if you, if you do, if, if you look from afar, right, and they see the success that, that you're having, people think it, it's easy, but it's not easy. You know, one one area I want to I want to discuss with you is is raising capital. You guys just raised raised more capital recently, but when when you went out and, and were pitching investors initially, what what's that process like? Is is it is it is it easy? Is it hard? W did it meet your expectations? Let's let's talk about that for a little bit. The, the raising capital process. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And I just want to reiterate the point you made. Like building a company is not easy. I think entrepreneurship is really glorified in the media, but. The reality is you give up everything to build something and you really got to believe in it with everything. But as far as fundraising goes, that was uh, definitely a painful but helpful learning process for us. The first time we raised capital, it took over 10 months. Um, we got months. an insane amount of no's. Um, and I think part of the reason was, you know, there aren't a lot of founders solving problems like the ones we're solving, right? Like a lot of businesses aren't being built to serve low to moderate income Americans. And there aren't a lot of people like us raising money. And so a lot of VCs struggled to kind of fit it in their mental models, right? They're like, okay, this doesn't look like things I've seen before. We don't really fund companies that are serving this demographic. And so it just became a very kind of painful process in that way. But I think one of my mentors describes it as purposeful pain. And so one of the things that came from that is we just got very um, tight in our narrative and really understanding how to sell the story in a way that the VC industry wants to hear it. Right, which may not be the way that we would talk about it, but it all comes down to narrative and storytelling. But from a process standpoint, we just got very diligent about it. We made a, a list of 500 names. We called outreach to some. We solicited warm introductions for others and just kind of did it over and over and over until we found those kind of few yeses. So you, a, a, a few yeses, right? Sometimes it's just a few yes. All you need is a few people to say yes. Right, but but it takes you an insane. Uh, I wrote that down. An insane amount of no's to to get there. Um, so so it sounds like you had great mentors, and 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 you guys really were diligent, like you said, about staying focused, on, eyes on the prize. You know, every every no was an opportunity to learn, refine your messaging. How do you you know when any any adversity, right? Because there's there's all types of adversity and things that don't go as planned when you're building a business like you guys are. How how do you how do you deal with the adversity? Yeah, I think it's, it's, for me, it came down to two things. One of my core beliefs is that nothing worth doing is worth doing alone. And so having a co-founder and partner like Abby, where I could know that even on the shittiest of days, there's at least one person who understands exactly where I'm at and that we're in this together, right? That kind of bond is incredibly valuable in this kind of process. And then number two is you got to believe what you're doing, right? You got to have conviction in the idea. And that's what really gets you through the tough time. It's the people around you and the conviction in what you're building. Like we were so convinced this needed to be in the world. So you're, you're so con And I can tell Samir, just from talking to you and, and from following uh, you and Abby for a bit here, 
um, how much conviction you have, right? And this comes from like something that's so core and central to your existence, both of your existence um, and histories, uh, that it's such important work to you. Has there ever been a moment where, in the whether it was at one of the nos at one of the potential investors or something that went awry, like where you just said, I don't know, like maybe we hang it up. Has there ever been one of those? If you think about it. You know, I don't think there was a moment where we were like, let's hang it up. But there's definitely two moments that I can think about that particularly stand out as kind of the lows of the lows. The first was during our first fundraising process. We had actually put together a round of close to $2 million, had a lead investor lined up. And that lead investor actually pulled out of the deal. They were essentially like, we actually spent our fund already. We're not going to be able to invest in this. Really sorry about that. And if you know how fundraising works, all the other investors basically take the word of the lead investor for the diligence that they've done and their trust in the brand, which meant that our entire fundraise went to zero. And at this point, Abby and I had been bootstrapping for 16 months, right? They had debtors calling my parents who don't really have money to pay them. I've been couch surfing for months. Like I was so close to defaulting on six bills at the same time that it's not even funny. And Abby was in the same boat. So that, that was tough. I think I just like went home and like passed out on my girlfriend's lap or something like that. And just well, woke up the next day and I think Abby and I had this conversation and we're like, you know what, one way or another, we're gonna take this thing to market. But that one was definitely a low moment. Um, and the other experience that I remember is um, we were essentially in middle of nowhere, Minnesota, right? We were in Crookston, Minnesota, and then we had a flight to San Francisco and we were in Minnesota to serve a client and we were going to San Francisco to see an investor. But we actually didn't have enough money for a hotel and our flight was at 5 a.m. So we actually, tried to crash the night at a Denny's. And so we're like working in Denny's. It's like 1 a.m. I'm like falling asleep at my computer and Denny's actually kicks us out. And so it's like negative 20 degrees. We're like, what are we doing in middle of nowhere, North Dakota at this point with like just freezing weather and, you know, it all kind of worked out, but it was just very funny because, you know, we show up to the airport, like pass out in a lounge chair or something like that. But, um, the next day we're visiting one of our investors who lives like, you know, a block down from Mark Zuckerberg. So it's just like a very, I don't know, surreal experience, but those were a couple of moments that I think I'll never forget. I'm sure you won't forget those. You know, this show, Samir, is called Everybody Pulls the Tarp. And it's it's based upon a philosophy that I have that great teams, great organizations are, are powered by individuals who contribute in unexpected ways, do things outside the boundaries of their job description. They never say, no, that's not my job. They just do what needs to be done. And I think it resonates, you know, particularly well when it comes to entrepreneurs. You hear those stories that you just described. I mean, that, you know, sleeping in a Denny's is in nobody's job description, right? But it's 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 what you it's what you you have to do, right? And I love the 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 way that you and Abby got together and said, "Look, one way or another, we're going to get this done." I mean, that is, you know, in my mind, um, pulling the tarp. And, you know, you guys have continued to, you know, just grind it out, grind it out just, you know, with, with that conviction. But you guys have, have made unexpected contributions in new ways, uh, especially during the pandemic. And I want to get into that a little bit here. When COVID hit, um, you created the Asusu uh, relief, uh, Rent Relief Fund, the Asusu Rent Relief Fund, an amazing, an amazing endeavor. Talk about that for a minute and, and what the relief fund was designed to do or is designed to do. Yeah, Andrew, thanks for bringing that up. So before COVID was kind of the talk of national conversation or everyone realized how significant it would be, our renters were feeling it before kind of the mainstream audience. We were talking in March and we're like, wow, 60% of our renters are going to miss rent in the next couple of months. 
this is crazy. Like, and I think Abby and I come from a school of thought where we have a collective responsibility to step up and serve the needs of society. And in our mind, there's like, look, we don't have the capital that the government has to bail all these people out, but there must be something that we can do to help our renters get through this tough time and also stand by our clients who are landlords who are also struggling. And so we launched this rent relief fund with a simple kind of, you know, grassroots campaign, crowdfunding and raise, you know, 30K in, in a week or two. And then we're able to use that to build, uh, to bring in some philanthropic capital, including from, you know, the Global Good Fund, Acumen Fund and, and other sort of funders. And, you know, it's just, we view it as our, our responsibility. You know, we're, we're seeing something, uh, government hasn't acted. A lot of people don't know what to do, but we just want to get started and do something, put our money where our mouth is. It's, it's incredible, Samir. I mean, it, just incredible work. Um, you know, we've got a couple more minutes together. I, I want to get into, you know, as the business continues to grow and it's growing really, really fast, you and Abby have to essentially bring on other folks who don't necessarily have that, that history with the business like you guys have, but that you're going to entrust to help you scale this business and make the maximum impact. Talk about the process of, as entrepreneurs who've created this, this thing, um, bringing on other folks to expand the team and, and, and that, talk about that a bit. Absolutely. So th I think there's a, maybe like a false myth that the most important people in the company are the founders. In my opinion, what makes or breaks a company is really the first 15 to 20 people that you hire, right? Because those are the people that need to believe in the culture and the values, embody it and be cultural champions, just the same way the founders are. They need to be able to give it 110% because Abby and I have our limits, right? And we're really nothing without the people we hire and the team that we have behind us. So first and foremost, talent is number one priority for us. I think what we look for is really two things. One is, does this person have some sort of tie or conviction around the mission so that it's more than a job, right? We, we're not looking for you know mercenaries, we're looking for missionaries. We want people who really care about what we're doing but at the same time, have a track record of success, want to perform, want to be excellent and have a really high quality bar, right? Those are the two things we need uh, in order to find great people. Um, and there's, you know, one of the best parts about growing the team is there's so many things that, you know, I'll speak for myself that I'm not good at. And I would love to find someone who's significantly better than I am and just get out of their way so that we can continue to grow the business. And that's, that's the rewarding part of raising capital and growing the team. And it requires a lot of trust, I would imagine, right? I mean, you know, you're entrusting essentially almost like a, it's like your child to, <laughs> to, uh, to, to, to these individuals. So very interesting. The, the first 15 to 20 are really the most critical. Yeah, because you kind of, like right now we're building our sales org, right, as an example, and we need to move past founder-driven sales. If the only people who can sell what we're doing is Abby and I, it's not necessarily a scalable business. Right. We need it to be other people can go in there, talk to a client, sell what we're doing and get the value proposition across. And if we can't do that, then we can't scale. Um, so at some point we have to, but I'm not going to pretend it's easy, you know, because nobody necessarily cares as much as the founders care. And so sometimes you just have to put blinders on and trust in the decisions you made in hiring where it's just like they might not do it exactly the way that you're doing it, but they're doing it to the best of their abilities. And it's probably over the long run going to be equally, if not greater than what you would have thought of. Samir, one, one more question I want to ask you is in terms of when, when you think about the success that you're, that you're having, and, and I think you're just beginning to write your story, right? Of course. Um, so when you think about your success, any amount of success that you've had, what, what do you attribute most to, to your success? Yeah, Andrew, that's, that's a good question. So I think first and foremost, I'd have to attribute it to, to my parents right? Two people who worked incredibly hard and made tremendous sacrifices so that I could have opportunities they couldn't have dreamed of. 
So I think first and foremost, just having their kind of support and conviction and belief in what I could accomplish was critical. Uh, and then, you know, number two, I just say it always comes down to people, you know, the other people in my life. I've been fortunate to work at great institutions like the United Nations and LinkedIn and learn from terrific people as to how I can be the best that I can possibly be. Uh, and I'm also fortunate to have great, you know, family, friends, uh, an incredible partner and a great business partner in Abby uh, to, to help me be the best that I can be. Um, so it really, I, I believe it, it takes a village and I'm just a manifestation of that. It does take a village. Everybody pulls the tarp. We're uh, let, let's we're going to end there on that note, Samir. This has been such a pleasure. Um, I, I I wish you continued success, um, and we'll have to uh, we'll have to catch up and do this again uh, another time, and, and we'll 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 see how things are continuing to progress. I'm I'm sure uh, you guys will continue uh, overcoming all the hurdles that uh, are in front of you. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate you having me on, and look forward to continuing the conversation.